Hi everyone, Nick here, speaking for the Dungeons & Drama Nerds team. Last week was a particularly hard week. The Russian invasion of Ukraine and, in the U.S., Governor Abbott's virulently transphobic order to state welfare agencies in Texas are weighing heavily on us. If you have the means, we'd ask that you do what you can to aid the people of Ukraine and support trans rights everywhere. In the show notes for this episode, you'll find links to places you can donate. The organizations supporting Ukraine include the Red Cross in Ukraine, the local medical organization Hospitalers, and Save Life in UA. This list was shared with us by Romana Isabella, a podcast regular who's based in Kiev. The organizations to donate to in support of trans youth include Lambda Legal and more Texas-specific organizations, including the Transgender Education Network of Texas and Organización Latina Trans Tejas. Please donate if you're able, and if you can, take the time to write to your local representatives to let them know you support trans rights and the people of Ukraine. Thanks so much. And now, on with our show. Hello, and welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. My name is Percy, and today I'm joined by Nick. Hey there. And Todd. Hiya. We will be discussing how to play Lancer by Miguel Lopez and Tom Parkinson Morgan and published by Massive Press. Lancer is a far future TTRPG about huge fighting mechs and the people who pilot them. The setting of Lancer features a post-Anthropocene world in which humanity has spread to the stars and mech pilots known as Lancers do battle with both human foes and unknowable entities. Lancer features a streamlined set of social rules, engaging tactical combat, and extraordinarily customizable options for mechs. Yeah, so let's kick it off with some of the unique aspects of this system. Um, Percy, as you said, there's kind of streamlined social rules for pilots and then very crunchy mecha customization for combat. You hop back and forth between freeform narrative play and mech combat, which is very, very structured. Campaigns are often structured as missions and downtime, and within both periods, play happens in scenes, which could be a conversation between pilots, a combat encounter, a montage of downtime activities, or any other discrete unit of continuous dialogue between players. In social play, when characters are asked to do a skill check, they roll a flat d20. On most rolls, successes are any number 10 or higher. Pilots also, once they're created and then on level up, get a certain number of triggers. These might be things like getting a hold of something, showing off, staying cool, or word on the street. If an action a player wants to do aligns with a trigger they have, they automatically add plus two to their role, and then on level ups, that could become a plus four, plus six, etc. So it becomes like much easier to do the sort of things that you're good at doing. Combat in narrative play isn't turn-based. Players always have the opportunity to act first in this phase of play. And like if you let's say, get in a fight in a bar as pilots, the GM doesn't roll any dice against you. What the other characters do is dependent on your own dice rolls. So if you roll a really sweet punch on someone, you might knock them out. If you go to punch someone and you totally whiff, they might hit you back in the face. Um, It's that kind of thing, which I think is really nice in terms of narrative play and failing forward. Yeah. And one of the things I love about the triggers is that it really is – this game feels a lot like a D20 fantasy game to me in that parts of it are very, very crunchy. But the the social triggers are pretty broad 
like much mm-hmm. broader than say D&D's skills I feel like and also you can make up your own if you want there's a whole you know it's all, all the ones they offer like show off or stay cool and then there's you know also just talk to your GM if you want one of your triggers to be like good at uh, diving or something. I don't know why you'd want that, but like maybe you want to make a diver mech who can like explore underwater by themselves. My trigger is explore the seas. <laughs> explore the- Hold your breath my- real good. <laughs> my, my trigger my trigger is hunt the white whale. <laughs> anyway. Um, but the other half of the game is way way uh, crunchier and way more tactical and like uh, focused and this is where uh, you can really get into the the tactical character customization options that some tabletop games can offer you I think this is probably the crunchiest game we've had on the show so far mm-hmm and that other half of the game is the mech combat. So you're going through your your pilot's life as normal in social life. If you have to get hop in your mech and fight something, um, you can switch into this much more uh, tactical mech combat system. Now in Lancer, there are no classes, but each mech is extremely modular. So you can create an incredibly like specific customized mech that does exactly what you want it to. Um, there are no classes, but I should say each mech uh, kind of frame past the basic one is classified as one of five roles. Those are artillery, defender, striker, support, and controller. And if you've ever played like an MMO, you probably recognize these terms because they're common in a lot of games. Like the defender is good at defending people. The striker is really good at like getting in the mix and dealing damage. Mm -hmm. In order to keep players from being too overwhelmed by choice right away, all level zero pilots start with the same GMS Everest frame for their mechs. Uh, that mech still offers a lot of customization, and some players actually keep using that basic frame all the way up uh, through the game. They can they just swap in different gear and weapons. Mm-hmm. Do you, if you want to hack your opponent's mech and crash their systems, there's a build for that. If you want to fly around with a cool laser sword there's a build for that too if you want to take shots from 20 squares away from behind cover there's a build for that and if you want to support your teammates by clearing statuses and stunning enemies that's another option you can take in our game you're specifically going to hear about uh four frames that our players have selected uh the raleigh which is a striker that is a sort of gunslinger mech uh but todd also wanted a laser sword so he has a laser sword it's great. <laughs> There's the Shimano Smith Death's Head, which is a sort of long-range artillery mech. Uh, the ISPN Drake, which is an extremely kind of tanky mech. And the Nelson, which is a striker that is very difficult to track, so a kind of fast uh, combat mech. In addition to your mech customizations, you also select three pilot talents to start out with. These might give you additional actions or free actions in combat, such as maybe after an attack misses you, you're able to move for free. Uh, Or you get automatic accuracy on the first ranged attack you do each round. Or you and uh, allies all get soft cover from attacks if you're engaged in combat, in like hand-to-hand combat with another mech. That's one that I took, and I think it's so cool because basically my laser sword is so good at cutting other ranged attacks in half. 
that I provide soft cover by cutting the bullets. <laughs> or at least that's how I interpret it. And that's how that's how your specific mech does it. Yes. <laughs> that's very cool. Um so in Lancer, there are three types of roles that you will be asked to make. There are skill checks, attacks, and saves, which is familiar to anybody, I think, who has played like a D20 system. Uh, skill checks are used to overcome a challenging situation. Attacks are used to make offensive actions in mech combat. And saves are used in mech combat to resist damage or negative effects. Um, skill checks are mostly for for narrative play, but there are a set of rules for like if you as your pilot in mech combat are for some reason operating like outside of your mech, like you're running around just you on the ground. Uh, so there are, I think, also opportunities for that kind of thing to come up in mech combat, depending on the situation. But it is sort of assumed that like <laughs> your fragile human question mark body will stay within <laughs> the protection of your mech when you are uh, fighting with laser swords. I found a new favorite line in the rule book in the section on uh, on the actions you can take if you're running around outside of your mech during combat, there's the jockey action, which is basically you, the pilot, try to like jump on the foot of another mech to sabotage it. Mm-hmm. And there's it, the start of that section reads, when you jockey, you aggressively attack an enemy mech while on foot. It cannot be emphasized enough how foolhardy and dangerous this is. <laughs> I, I concur. Um, but anyway, circling back to um, circling back to types of roles that you can make, uh, the sort of difficulty class system in Lancer operates um, in a way that I think is, is maybe a little bit similar to Blades in the Dark in terms of classification of types of roles. So you uh, most roles succeed on a 10 plus if a role is designated as risky by the GM, um, it still succeeds on a 10 plus. But if you roll under 20, there will be some kind of consequence and heroic level roles need a 20 or higher to succeed, and you take consequences on anything under a 20. Um, and consequences are defined in the book as like putting yourself in harm's way, uh, taking damage in some way, sort of getting in a disadvantageous situation or somebody else getting an advantage on you. <clears throat> if you fail a check, you can't try doing the same thing again unless the narrative circumstances change, which is a thing that I like that they say explicitly because I feel like this is a thing that a lot of like D&D DMs try to enforce but it's not in the book so you still get players who are like oh i failed the lock picking check let me continue to try again and again Mm -hmm. until i roll high enough on my d20 but if you do fail a roll you can also choose to push it by reattempting the same check as a risky check instead of a regular one or as a heroic check instead of a risky one so basically kind of gambling on getting a higher dice roll with much higher stakes um, so we already mentioned this a little bit before, but there's this mechanic that's used a lot in this game, which is accuracy and difficulty. Um, you can kind of think of this the way you might think of advantage or disadvantage in other systems in terms of like how it works, but what it does is very different. Um, so when you're making social checks or combat rolls, you might have accuracy or difficulty depending on those circumstances, but you're not rolling like two D20s and taking the higher roll. You would roll one D20, and then if you had one accuracy, you would roll one D6 and then add that result to your D20. Um, or if it was difficulty, you would subtract it from your D20. There's there's situations where you might have both accuracy and difficulty at the same time, which I think is interesting. So like maybe you're trying to make a really difficult shot at an enemy mech, but you're a good sniper. You might get plus one accuracy because you're a good sniper, but like plus two difficulty because they're in a hard to spot 
area. Um, and so those things cancel each other out one to one. So instead of rolling one accuracy and adding that and then two um, difficulty and subtracting, you would instead cancel out one accuracy, one difficulty, and be left with the remainder one difficulty. Um, in situations where you have multiple difficulty or multiple accuracy, um, you don't add them all up to your d20. Um, you just take the highest result and either add or subtract that. So let's say you have three difficulty, you would roll 3d6, you would take the highest number of those three, subtract it from your d20, and that would be your result. So you're never changing by any more than one to six on any of these rolls, which is also nice for kind of bounding um, how wild things can get. Pilots also have this uh, stat known as grit, which is kind of um, like, your proficiency bonus um like it's not exactly it's not exactly a proficiency bonus but it works in a similar way your grit levels up as you level up and get more licenses and this affects things like attack bonuses hit points save targets all sorts of different things the way that a proficiency bonus and something like dnd would Another thing that affects this accuracy and difficulty puzzle is teamwork. Um, allies can always grant you aid to give you plus one accuracy, um, but no matter how many of your teammates are trying to help you with a thing, you only ever get one accuracy on that. But, um, and I think that this is a nice trade-off, if you give an ally accuracy and they fail, you take part in that thing going wrong. So like, let's say you're at a bar, your buddy is trying to arm wrestle someone and you want to like give them accuracy. And maybe that's by like stepping on someone's foot. I don't know, whatever. Um, if they fail to pin this person, you would also get in trouble. And I think that that's a narratively interesting thing. Yeah. And it, I, th I think it, it makes sense because aid is so easy to offer. You know, it's it's just like, yeah, pretty much anyone can help anyone else out as long as it, broadly speaking, makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that promotion of teamwork. Mm -hmm. If you're getting the impression that the combat in this game is kind of complicated, you're not wrong. <laughs> There's a lot of different options to consider on your turn, particularly in mech combat. In the simplest terms, on your turn, you can, one, move up to your speed, and then you choose to either take one full action or two quick actions. That will be your turn, unless you choose to overcharge your mech, which will let you take one more quick action at the cost of heating up your mech's reactor core. And if you heat up that reactor core too much, you're going to have a very, very bad time. A full action might look like something like attacking with multiple weapons, kind of launching a barrage, uh, using multiple tech attacks, uh, which which is the kind of catch-all term for things like basically trying to hack your opponent's mech and shut it down, stabilizing your mech to clear clear out some of the conditions affecting it, or if you, you're up close and personal with somebody and you want to get away without them attacking you, you can use a full action to do that as well. A quick action is going to be your bread and butter. Um, well, includes some things that are your bread and butter, like skirmishing with other mechs, uh, you know, just making one attack or one kind of shot, or do taking a skill check of any kind of undefined kind. And then there are also some uh, quick actions that 
we might see if things get hairy, like ejecting from your mech, which is my favorite thing. Um, that they they not only have an action to eject from your mech, but they have specific rules. That's so like you fly out six squares or something like that in I think a random direction. <laughs> Maybe it's well, not random. <laughs> part of that is so you can overheat your mech if you do, and like yeah. let it go nuclear, and then you pull the ripcord and bounce. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so ejecting, uh, and you can also, if you don't want to overheat your mech, uh, you can shut your mech down, uh, kind of do the hard off switch, which is not great in the middle of combat because it takes a full action on your next turn to boot your mech back up, but might be a good idea if, say, your computer systems have been fried by a hacker. In addition to those full actions and quick actions, there's two other uh, things that people might be able to do. There are reactions, um, which are basically special actions that they can use on other people's turns. Everybody has access to the basic reactions brace, which lets them kind of grit to take a hit. And Overwatch, which is, if you've played a D20 fantasy game, basically the equivalent of an attack of opportunity. If you have you have a defined threat zone, and if an enemy uh, moves around in that threat zone, you get to take a free shot or swipe at them. Like I mentioned earlier, players can choose to overcharge uh, their mech uh, to get an extra quick action, and that scales up the heat in your reactor core, the more times you do it, it starts out just being one heat, and that becomes 1d3 heat, and then 1d6, and eventually 1d6 plus 4, which is really a lot, <laughs> and likely to make your mech meltdown. One thing that was initially a little bit difficult to track when I was reading through this book is that there's a couple of different uh, sort of health pools to the mechs, and in both cases, there's pretty much a that there's a quickly diminishing one, and then there's a serious one. This is easiest to explain with the hit points, but in the physical realm, there's hit points versus structure damage, and then in the reactor realm, there's your heat cap versus stress. So just to use the hit point example, mechs usually have a pool of 10 plus hit points, and they have four structure points. When your hit points go down to zero, you take one structure damage and you roll a check with a number of d6 equal to the number of structure points you have marked. The lower your result, and you use the lowest result if you're rolling multiple d6s, the worse your mech is damaged, and you're going to take a penalty on your next turn for the rest of the scene, or if you roll a one, uh, possibly for the rest of the fight. If you roll multiple ones because you've got multiple structure boxes marked, it's a crushing hit and your mech is completely destroyed. With heat cap and stress, there's a similar table which follows how your mech is dealing with the stress of combat, being hacked, and being pushed to its limits. Uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit to talk about the setting of Lancer, which is, I think, a really sort of important and unique element of this game as you sort of marry these two very different sides, the sort of freeform social play and the and the narrative, the sort of mech combat crunchy fight system. So, yeah, let's talk about Lancer setting. Uh, Lancer is set in the far flung future where, in the words of the game's writers, quote, humanity is at once in a state of utopia and working to affect it. 
Humanity's civilizations inhabit many star systems. In the relatively recent past, Union has created a post-scarcity society for the central systems near Cradle, which is ancient Earth. Uh, incredible advancements have taken place. Many people walk around with their own low-level AIs called companion concierges or compcons. The OmniNet is interconnected on many planets. Ships can travel incredible distances via a network of blink gates. And the best pilots in the world climb into the cockpits of their own mechas. These are Lancers. But in the rim, there's still strife. Outer planets struggle under the remains of the Second Committee, dormant machine minds are waking up, the vestiges of thousand-year-old wars rumble, and to borrow the writer's words, this is why we still fight. So this is a really sort of explicitly a world that is reckoning a lot with like colonization and capitalism and all of these things as they're implicated in a world where like there's AIs, there's non-human people, there's like aliens, there's all of these sort of other things that are complicating these things that we are still kind of talking about in our in our everyday lives. As a slight note, there aren't aliens. I'm sorry. Which they're very specific about. Um, but there are, there's like humans, and then there's these very advanced, um, sometimes machine minds, which people are mostly very freaked out about. <laughs> For content, there is like the lore section of the book is like 250 pages. It's great. <laughs> so like it's wild. It gets it's great. It's very it's very easy to get lost in like in the weeds of this very very intricate history that they've written. But it is also extremely cool. It's an enormous history, and then one of the first supplements they released for the game was a setting book, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is just wild to me. Well, it's a, it's a narrative campaign which does have a setting but has a campaign and hilariously spoiler introduces aliens um <laughs> god damn it after the whole book is like there are no aliens you do not play as an alien um, um and then in no room for a wallflower the first thing is like there might be aliens here <laughs> um which i find hilarious well pivoting into something i think related to like the world building of the game that i also think is really interesting that the game does um has to do with pc death um so in the in the book in terms of like if your character were to die, you you always go what they call down and out first. So you're sort of like you're knocked out, you're removed from the scene. And there's a system for cloning, which basically sort of assumes that like if your PC, if your pilot dies, you would be able to sort of like reenter the game as a clone. And there are a lot of sort of rules about that. But basically the tone of the book is very much like mechs are replaceable and you are less replaceable. But like it sort of prioritizes being able to continue playing with the same character if that's mm-hmm. something that you want, which I think is a cool thing that I don't see in a lot of in a lot of games. I do enjoy that much like um, paranoia, when you are cloned, sometimes weird shit happens. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that in Lancer might be like you receive messages from a force that you cannot see. Um, you might have traumatizing memories from your past lives um, that like there's there's narrative flavor and there's also some like whenever this happens roll a blah 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 because it might get weird for you because you have died and come back yeah but i like that the default is this idea that like you can continue with the same character and keep exploring things unless you would prefer to start it with a new character like i think i think that's just like a unique thing that i haven't seen in a lot of other systems like as a general rule reading through this book like they explicitly name a lot of things that I think are like commonly accepted ways to approach GMing or ways to approach TTRPGs, but they're like written in the rulebook in a way that I don't see very often, particularly in the way that they talk about the combination of how mechanics are serving the storytelling. Like they've sort of split the game into these two very different feeling phases of play or types of play. 
mm-hmm. but the way that everything is sort of oriented is all sort of in service of like creating a fiction in a way that I think is really, really cool. Like there's the emphasis feels very much like, you know, all of these complicated mechanics are a means of telling stories that just happens to be very tactical and very sort of focused on like how many hexes away are you and like what is the angle of this and like all of all of these sort of crunchy things to keep track of. But it's all sort of in service of like telling a story in this very specific and unique setting. Like one example of this is that there's a note in the rules that you can always choose to fail a check if you think that's the narratively interesting thing to do, which is like a thing that I think a lot of people do naturally, but to see it like written in the rules that like this is an option available to you. Like, I think that's very neat. Yeah, there was something I was reading earlier today that explicitly named, which you sort of assume, but again, it was good to see it like explicitly written out. It was like, uh, I think it was something to do with skill checks. And it was basically like, oh, the player decides, you know, this, this, this. If there's any question about whether it would apply, the GM adjudicates it. So yeah, similarly, just like explicitly naming kind of how these things work that a lot of people take for granted, I think is good, especially in a game that's this kind of crunchy and tactical and detailed. Well, and like we've made a lot of references to how like things that sort of align with D20 games or D&D mechanics. But I also think the way that the triggers work is very like powered by the apocalypse in its sort Mm -hmm. of vibe um, in terms of like, oh, I actually don't care like we're not going to roll initiative for this bar fight or we're not going to roll initiative for when you in narrative play go to assassinate the leader of this other faction or whatever. Um, like we're just going to figure it out in play and the GM is going purely based off of the PC's die rolls. Mm. Something that I also really enjoy about this system in the mech combat is that unlike many of the other systems we've played, particularly the ones that are more war gamey, often when you're in combat, you just like fight until one side has destroyed the other entirely. And in Lancer, they have a bunch of different, what they call sit reps, um, which is short for like situation report. But sometimes it might be like hold an area for eight rounds until you can be extracted um, or like move you know, uh, some NPCs from like this area to this area within this amount of time, whether that's like eight rounds or three rounds. And sometimes it's like defeat the enemy. And sometimes it's like go and seize a certain area and hold it um, while reinforcements come. And it's just a different way of thinking about using combat in a narrative fashion, because um, so much of what I have played uh, in my time has been D&D. I feel like as soon as a battle map comes out, you know that like there is one way that this will be solved, and it is by my character murdering a bunch of other people. Um, which is not to say that that doesn't happen in Lancer. It does. Um, but it becomes uh, something that can be about other things. Like combat does not need to be about annihilation. Um, It can be about holding an enemy off. It can be about retrieving an asset. It can be about all sorts of things. And I think thinking about combat in those terms is also more interesting narratively. Yeah, I think that's a great example of the kind of, this is something that lots of people kind of encourage doing. I feel like I've seen that a lot in recent years about D20 games. People saying like, to make your encounters more interesting, make the objective literally anything other than murder murder everyone in this room but make it something that's clear and accomplishable and then all of a sudden the you know the tactics change 
Mm-hmm. But this but this game builds it right into the the structure of the game itself and gives you a whole section on the rule book explaining how to do that rather than just being like, I don't know, figure but, it out. <laughs> well, and I think in in a in a game that is so deeply customizable in terms of your options in combat, like I think D&D is very customizable in terms of what you're able to do in combat, but all of the skills are oriented towards kill everybody else, kill mm-hmm. everybody on the other side, whereas in Lancer, I think this really encourages you to make the most of these customization options and like think about like because you can trust that you will have utility in a variety of situations or that things will come up where, for example, if you're using the the Nelson mech frame that like being able to sneak around unseen actually might be very, very useful if your victory mm-hmm. condition, which is what they call like the objective that the PCs are trying to achieve in a in a mech combat encounter um, is to like go capture something from the enemy fortress or whatever. A broad definition of unseen there, given that the Nelson is canonically like 18 feet tall or something. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Um, I think it's also because your mechs are very replaceable, though you, the pilot, are not. Um, it also encourages you to fight more riskily, like to take big swipes um, and big risks because like, yeah, it'll suck if you lose your mech, but in the world of Lancer, you can print a new mech in like a day at many locations. I think that's um, so funny that they call it printing. Cause I'm well, imagining like, printing. No, I know, but I'm imagining like an inkjet printer and there's yeah. just like a gauntlet coming out of it. It's, it's actually little known fact about the Lancer universe. All the mechs are actually carefully folded in slotted paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're all paper all craft. Paper components that's like put slot A, to put tab B in slot A. Yeah. Oh my God. And somehow it turns into a laser sword. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it turns into a laser sword. It's great. Um, no, but it's, uh, I think both like changing what the definition of success is in these different sit reps and also being in a situation where your mech failing can still be a success for you um, is very fascinating. Like there's a situation where, um, you know, ramming an enemy outside of the zone of control that you're trying to hold down, even if it means your mech is going to get throttled uh, is like, both an interesting thing to do and a useful thing for you to do um, for your comrades. And then you like pull that eject rip cord and fly back to where you need to be to safety. Like that makes combat so much more interesting to me. I feel like, again, especially in D&D, um, people are so careful with their PCs because PC death is the worst thing that can happen. Um, even though Again, it's a system where like there are ghosts and dead things all the time. And like you could go on a fun magical quest to bring your friend back from the dead. Um, but I find that people get really paranoid about how they will handle encounters. Um, and I think this allows you to be both more like flexible and um freewheeling with the choices that you're making as things change in your combat encounter. Yeah, I think this system encourages like creativity and teamwork and tactical thought in a way that is really exciting in part because that's not the whole game so Mm -hmm. i think there is like a lot of freedom to like scratch both like things that 
that a player might want to do, which is like very sort of fiction heavy role play that is not super dependent on dice rolls. And then this like extremely, extremely tactical half of the game where you are encouraged to think really strategically and really like get nerdy about how you're customizing things and what, you know, what kind of laser cannon or whatever uh, you're you're looking at like I know Britt was talking about the Drake's like <laughs> Leviathan fire cannon, <laughs> which is like an absolutely bonkers weapon. <laughs> I I will say as somebody who loves a good like tactical crunchy RPG, I really want to play Lancer because I do I I like that scratching both itch idea, and it seems to be a system that's really designed with the. Not quite the let's throw everything at it, but def- but there's a lot of blending of different intentions and aesthetics going on that I feel like is actually really rare because you've got, on the one hand, the super streamlined narrative play and the super crunchy mech combat. And then even within the mech combat, it's like, it's a D20 system, but sometimes with dice pools, um, mm-hmm. which is also, I think, pretty rare, you know, like the advantage, disadvantage or advantage difficulty mechanic is essentially a dice pool. There's some other mechanic I was just reading about earlier that's also a dice pool and I can't remember what now. But Well, you roll dice it, pools in like the structure checks and stuff like that, depending right. on how much damage you've taken yeah. or how much stress you've taken. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's just a real it's really interesting design and mm. I can see getting really into it um yeah like i think there's something for everybody in it if you are like a person who really really loves role playing um getting to play with the triggers i think is really really cool because they are so broadly applicable like there's a trigger called i think patch which is like could be um like setting a wound or like bandaging someone's wound or doing some kind of like medicine check adjacent thing but it could also be like (laughs) um applied to other situations and i think that's really cool but there's also like like if you have a person who misses like a d and d and wants to like calculate do you pronounce it thac o or thac zero i think it's thaco to hit ac zero yeah 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 like if because like if you're unfamiliar the way that armor class used to work in like original versions of D D is like with this table that is like premised on like the type of weapon and like as opposed to like additive it works like subtractively and it's very uh it makes it's a lot of confusing. sense once you understand it, but like you have to like reference a bunch of tables and things like that. So like people who find a lot of joy and pleasure in like figuring out these really fiddly things and like going through tables of different options and like branching trees of like, okay, I rolled this on my structure check. So that means I have to roll on this other thing to figure out like the the effect of that and what kind of hit it is and that kind of thing is really is really cool. So there is like, yeah, something for everybody, whether you like really fiddly crunchy mechanics or not um one of the one of the things that i think is like cool and fun and weird about these mechs um is there's four different manufacturers um and each of them has like a different flavor of mech i know a number of us um in our actual play will be playing um isp north stars um which are these kind of like rugged mechs um that come from this mining collective but there's also like harrison army um there's horus there's smith shimano corpro and some of those feel a little bit more like gundams and some of those feel a little bit more like um, Neon Genesis Evangelion mechs. And they're clearly trying to like say, 
this is the mech game for everyone. Like, if you want to play depressed 14-year-olds who have been forced to combat otherworldly forces, like, you probably want to hop in a Horus or maybe a uh, Smith Shimano Corpora um, and, like, get in your feelings about this. And if you want to be a bunch of orphans from the colonies, like, defending against an uprising of Second Committee, like, maybe these are some things. Um, but what's really cool is that you can mix and match all of these things. Um, like when you level up, you get a new license level that you can apply to like any of these different mechs. Um, you need two license levels in a mech to get the frame, but like your first one gets you one of their signature weapons and like a cool thing that you can do. Um, your third one gets you like their final signature weapon and usually some AI, um, which is really neat. But like, if we level these characters up more, we're going to start at license level three. But if we level them up more, um, I would take my full Raleigh that I have, which is like a, a Western shooter kind of mech, and then try to get a like really cool energy sword from another one and slap it on there. Because um, I think that's really interesting. And as someone who grew up watching Zoids, um, there's something like really cool about like, this mech is the base and i will modify liger zero whatever for people who don't know what that is um but i will put like the tank stuff on it or i'm going to put the really agile armor on it or i'm going to put the energy blades that come out the sides on it um for this particular instance um and the fact that you can rebuild your mech all the time is also very cool it's not like i've put 18 levels into ranger but I kind of want to do magic <laughs> and it feels a little late to do the kind of magic that I want to do. Um, like you can always change out your license levels on level up um, and you can just like, it encourages all of this mixing and matching because there aren't classes per se. And I have to say, I'm really glad that uh, you all decided to play at license level three because I feel like it's a really neat sweet spot where you know, we get to see some of that customization mm -hmm. rather than the, the game starts you at license level zero where you do get to customize your mech, but like you don't really have access to any of the like four corporations uh, stuff. So I'm excited to see what people have made with with their three license levels and whether people are going all in on one build or kind of spreading themselves out a little. Mm -hmm. Well, and the world building of the game is so specific that I think and like it encourage it is very clear at the beginning of the like lore section that's just like you don't have to read all of this to play the game like this is this is here for you to take inspiration mm -hmm. from stuff um, and kind of figure out where your character might fit in this world. Um, but there's so much specificity in like how the world works that I think there are there is so much opportunity for people to really dig in and be like, OK, cool. Um I'm going, I'm going to make a character that's absolutely buck wild, which is what um, multiple people in our campaign have chosen to do. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, I won't say exactly what it is. You'll see. But well, and it's a fun like it doesn't quite feel like min maxing because you don't have stats in the traditional sense. You have points that you spend on your stats and you get like additional points on level up for different stuff. So like I've made my person very speedy just because I was interested in something that could like get around fast, dodge things and be the quickest gun in the West. 
Um, like that's, that's what I'm interested in. So that's what I built. Um, and I'm sure people could build like a very balanced mech that would be good at everything. But apparently we, we did like a trial combat and I am very susceptible to tech attacks, which I didn't really think about when I put five points in agility. <laughs> um, but like, those are the choices I made and those are the choices I'm going to live with as we go through this campaign, speedy which I'm excited hackable. about. <laughs> yeah, speedy and easily shut down. Um, but I think that's interesting. And I also think it's interesting to um, experience those things in real time. Like I am going to find the foibles of my build. <laughs> in combat um but it offers me the chance to uh retune whenever we you know have a, a rest and rebuild our max and i think that that's like cool and interesting yeah it doesn't have the problem with a lot of crunchy systems where like you invest in a you invest in a build and you're stuck in that unless mm -hmm. your gm is like you can actually walk that back and we can figure out a way narratively that it works, but like rules as written in this game, it is extremely flexible and customizable and it allows for evolution in terms of like what your crew of Lancers is doing and what they are trying to do narratively and lets you sort of build to serve that story and how it evolves. And that ultimately feels like a lot of the reason for a lot of the mechanics, which I think is really cool because it sort of marries those two things together in a way that a lot of people I think view as very like opposed and binary. Um, well, a thing I think is great design that like inspires that the, the like customizing and playing aspect of the game is that you, if you play a long campaign of Lancer, your pilot license level can go up to 12 but every individual max license is only one to three. So you're going to like, not only can you diversify, you, you will diversify because mm -hmm. there's just, there's enough that you can take four full like suites of abilities. So the, the like raw power uh, gap is not that huge between like what you start out with and the level three stuff. Instead, it's all about finding like synergies and fun, mm -hmm. different toys horizontally between the different like mechs and different pieces, because it's not, it's not like in, you know, D and D where it's like, Oh, a level one character can do one D six damage and a level 20 character can do 2d 12 plus 172 like it's it's <laughs> it's not that the numbers grow that enormous it's about you finding kind of like synergies and combos and like cool ways for things to interact with each other as your options expand mm -hmm. i mean you know what it reminds me of actually is magic the gathering because i think tell me more well i think it because i think there are like two schools of thought when it comes to magic the gathering if you're playing in like a serious committed way, one of which is like the people who are like, I'm going to make the most like optimized, like I'm going to go really all in on one thing and be really, really good at that thing. Um, like I'm going to make my green aggro trample deck and that's my thing. And then there are people who thrive on like finding all of the weird combinations and all of the weird like ways that things interact with each other and exploiting those and playing with those. Um, and I think the way that like, the different types of mech interact allow you to sort of build a team that is like 
exploiting all of these weird things and interacting with things in a sort of weird way. And I really, really particularly like the options for battlefield control um, that are like a marriage of like a D&D cleric and like blue magic, the gathering style play. Um, like, I think that's very, very cool. Um, and it feels, yeah, I don't know. That's what it makes me think of is, is magic, the gathering, but also for the uninitiated blue magic is often uh, counter spells. Yeah, it's lots of counter spells and like, oh, just kidding, you can't do that or mill mm. through your whole deck. Um, it's a lot between, of saying no to other people. I was gonna say it's I, denial. I, uh, for context, also, <laughs> I'm a I'm a very dedicated blue Magic the Gathering player. Oh. <laughs> I did. I played Magic the Gathering online for a hot second, and then I was like, this game is very challenging. <laughs> but I think it, I think it has a lot of kinship with the way that Lancer is because it is like a thing that there is a high sort of barrier to entry in terms of learning what all of the things mean and what all of the options are. Mm-hmm. But also after you hit that point, it is extremely customizable and extremely like you just have to go in and say, I know what I would like to do. Um, and there is a combination of things that will allow you to do that exact thing. Yeah, although there's no narrative component to Magic the Gathering, um, unless you care to read like all of the all of the books. <laughs> <laughs> Should we wrap this up? Yeah, you can join us next week for uh, for our first uh, episode of the actual play of Lancer, um, and you can meet our Buckwild crew. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll see you then. Dungeons and Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percival Hornack, and Nicholas Orvis, and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel Dean. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DNDramaNerds. Check out cast bios on our website, DungeonsAndDramaNerds.com, and tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds.